Hello and welcome to episode 3 of God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any elements that have parallels with the gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm education writer and recreational time traveller Giles Goff. And I'm videographer and relentless northern killing machine Phil Coleman. And during this period of lockdown we'll be trying to stave off the desire to go outside by sticking our film geek jackets on to analyse the faith parallels in the Terminator franchise as suggested by the mysterious George Eaton. We'll be looking at the Trinity and the Connors, Saul on the road to Damascus and how it all relates to everyone's favourite killing machine with an Austrian accent. Phil, do you have a favourite model of Terminator? And it's okay. got to be the T-1000. Yeah. Robert Patrick in that film is amazing. He's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Like, so intimidating, so robotic, but he's not, like, wooden. You know what I mean? His performance mm. is just so believable. It's really interesting seeing somebody incredibly clean-cut and an authority figure and somebody who is not traditionally imposing to be able to make, make them look that scary. Some of the things that he did, just the little touches he added to the character, I think, were fascinating. And that's what made him so imposing, and it's stuck in my brain for years. Also, Robert Patrick. Just choose a first name already, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Like, are you robot or you're patrick you know what i mean <laughs> yeah awesome i went for a, a slightly left turn for my answer and i want to say um cameron played by summer glau from the tv series sarah yeah. connor chronicles i'm actually not familiar yeah, with that no. it's a tv show that was cancelled before its time it only got two seasons yeah. and it was a real shame because it was really well done it's set after the events of t2 with lena heady as sarah connor she becomes the first of two westerosi queens to play sarah connor with amelia clark playing her later on in terminator genesis phil do you want to talk us through some of the facts about the terminator franchise the Terminator franchise, an American media franchise created by James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd. The franchise encompasses a series of science fiction action films, comics, novels and additional media concerning the battles between Skynet's synthetic intelligent machine network and John Connor's resistance forces with the rest of the human race. The Terminator topped the United States box office for two weeks and helped launch Cameron's film career and solidified Schwarzenegger's status as a leading man. The film franchise alone has made $2.1 billion at the box office worldwide. The franchise also consists of a trilogy of novels, 28 video games. 28 video games? Yeah, they add video games that go back as far as, like, MS-DOS. You know, like, wow. text-based adventures and such. Yeah, okay, um, okay. This has 36 comic book series, a collectible card game, a pinball machine, obviously, because they all do, and uh, three theme park attractions, one of which is the T2 3D Battle Across Time, which to this day, I am still annoyed that I was too young and too far away to experience it before it closed down. Although yeah, it is still going in Japan. Wasn't there a range of toys that came out with it as well? Oh yeah, loads of toys. Loads and loads of toys. In fact, there was a range of toys that came out despite the fact that the film was rated R. Yeah, that's the thing I can't yeah. work out. You have these these toys aimed at children for an, was it 18 certificate? T I think it was just, I think it, then it was rated R. So that'll be right, like the okay. equivalent of a 18 certificate. Yeah, a lot of mixed messaging going on. Now, yeah, no, yeah. like this is a, a robotic killing machine. But yeah, yeah. I'll, have, I'll let my kid can play with that. Like, what? Yeah. No. The initial draft for the movie was sold to Gail Ann Hurd, James Cameron's production partner and former collaborator at New World Pictures, for the price of only $1. The symbolic gesture came with a blood oath as quote-unquote it says, Hurd had to promise to do everything in her power to get the film produced, but with Cameron as director. Oh, she wow. kept her word. 
and dismissed every yeah. studio that showed interest but wanted to ditch Cameron. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. They actually ended up becoming married for a short period of time as well. Yeah, he, he has involved. a tendency to marry strong women. It's uh, it's it's one of those it's delightful quirks. <clears throat> it, it, it sort of reflects in his writing, though, as well. People used to have T-shirts that said, you can't scare me, I've worked for James Cameron. That's and, one of the uh, facts I've got. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm no, it's sorry. okay. I'm glad that you've used it in the I'm, context. He seems like a, a fairly hard character like he definitely knows what he wants he's an intense dude but at the same time he produces some phenomenal stuff you know i mean tv series like dark angel titanic uh, even even avatar which i didn't actually i didn't like you can still see all the the craftsmanship that's gone into it yeah you can see uh, that he's a a honed well-established storyteller somebody somebody once once compared me to um to james cameron as an insult and then somebody quietly sort of wrote down in a little note to it's like you might be a bit James Cameron, but at least you're not Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, you know what? That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So the Terminator, the first one, uh, has yep. been selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, uh, or aesthetically significant. Oh, wow. So that's now preserved in American mm. archives, which I think it should be. With the first one, he was basically trying to invent a new genre, wasn't he? He wanted um, to create a sci-fi slasher, if I remember well, correctly. The, the phrase I heard him read, uh, I read in one of his interviews, was the idea of it being tech noir, you know? Yes. It's, uh, and obviously the funny thing is, he names the nightclub in the scene where she first meets him as tech noir. Once you know that, the name stands out a mile. I watched it earlier on today, and that's the first thing I noticed is like, it's called Tech Noir. I know that for some reason. I'm glad that you've told me because I just couldn't remember. So in Rome, during the release of Piranha 2, The Spawning, director Cameron fell ill and had a dream about a metallic torso holding kitchen knives, dragging itself from an explosion. Inspired by director John Carpenter, who made the slasher film Halloween in 1978 on a low budget, Cameron used the dream as a launching pad to write a slasher-style film. Cameron's agent disliked the Terminator concept and requested that he work on something else, so Cameron fired him. (laughs) He was basically like, look... This is what I've got. It will work. This is a bit of a divergent, but one of the few A-list, or maybe the only A-list director I've actually met, was Danny Boyle. I asked him once, how do you pick your projects? And he said, it's a bit like falling in love. Everyone can tell you not to do it or or all the reasons why you should avoid it or anything, but sometimes you just know and you've just got to go for it, you know? And it sounds like that's what Jim Cameron was going through there. That sounds about right to me. One afternoon during a break in filming, Arnold Schwarzenegger went to a restaurant in downtown LA to get some lunch and realised all too late that he was still in Terminator makeup with a missing eye, an exposed jawbone and burned flesh. <laughs> I want the As meatloaf. Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't intimidating enough, but he's standing on the other side of the deli counter with you and part of his jawbone is exposed. That's going to be... The thing is as well, because he's unaware that he's still in makeup, he's going to be like smiling yeah. and sort of being extremely friendly. And there he's got like a bit of jaw hanging out and you think, are you You're right? going to get some incredibly fast service that way, I think. You know? Oh, yeah. So according to a 2008 interview with Lance Henriksen, who, by the way, I forgot, complete was in this film so I watched it earlier today um Lance Henriksen's the um police officer he's, he's the android in um in Alien isn't he or he's he is. one of the androids yeah, yeah. in right, I, yeah, I, yeah. I saw him and I was like you're James a Cameron. robot as well yeah it's like you're a robot but not in this franchise James Cameron had no agent according to Lance Henriksen and was either living in his car or sleeping on the couch mm-hmm. for a friend when he wrote the script for the film so he was poor uh shots through the Terminator's vision shows a dump of the ROM assembler code for the Apple II operating system if you owned an Apple II 
you enter the basic prompt. So let me get this right. End bracket call dash 151 star P. And it'll give you the Terminator view, which I think is so cool. Uh, yeah, that's what you want. Okay. Robert Patrick trained in a regular running regime while breathing only through his nose in order to be able to appear to run at higher speeds without showing fatigue on his face. He had trained so hard that he was able to catch up with Edward Furlong on his dirt bike with great ease. So he had to actually slow down. What a machine. Like, like, it, like I know he's playing the machine, but what a machine. That's insane. So Robert Patrick, that's, that's, who not only can he not yeah. decide on a first name, but he's also a yeah. brill runner. That is like, phenomenal. Uh, similarly, physicality-wise, uh, Robert Patrick patterned himself after a shark when he was moving through a crowd. Which you can see that as well, can't you? It, I mean, he's sort of got the features as well, like that very angular sort of like thing, and yeah. it really suits his his natural aesthetic, you know. And to accomplish the scene in which the T one thousand slowly emerges from the fire in the you know in like the, the foundry sequence at the end, Robert Patrick had to stand in the center of the flames and then walk out. After Obviously. the scene, his clothes were all singed. Yeah. Yeah. Health and safety were, were were napping that day, weren't they? Yeah, they they didn't really think that one through, did they? I mean, man could have died. Okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger's catchphrase almost became "I will be back" because he thought it sounded more machine-like without a contraction. He also felt "I'll" sounded too feminine. It was the one major disagreement between Schwarzenegger and James Cameron, and all Cameron had to say was that "I don't tell you how to act, so don't tell me how to write." <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Oh, wow. Like, it's a spicy meatball. <laughs> there are certain times you've got to tell your actors, just just do, the, do it the way it's written. You know, I know, what I'm, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. But, I mean, having to say that to Arnold Schwarzenegger, that has to be something quite memorable. The man's like eight filing cabinets stacked on top of each other. You know what I mean? Ooh, like, wide and Lord. tall. So, like, good why Lord. you would mess with him? In the music video that Guns N' Roses did, You Could Be Mine, which was the tie-in to the, the film. The, I remember that. You've got the whole performance of, of Guns N' Roses and the Terminator moving through the crowd. He sees them as they're coming out afterwards and it you see it through the Terminator vision screen yeah. and it locks onto Axl Rose and it just says, waste of ammo. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's still true. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for those, Phil. Those were really insightful. Thank you so much. I, I really, I love learning new stuff about things that I love. Now, full disclosure, we didn't manage to get a guest for today's episode yet. So what I did was place an ad on social media in five years' time, giving the exact date, time, location for them to travel back and give us an idea what time travel is really like. So <laughs> if they're going to turn up, they should turn up any minute now. <laughs> Well, that was disappointing. Yeah, that sucks. So, like, where is he? Okay. In place of that, I've decided to correct one particular injustice, which is that I feel one film is unfairly maligned. So we're introducing a little alternative segment, which I'm calling a spirited plea to reevaluate Terminator Salvation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so first off, this isn't an attack on people that hated Salvation. A lot of people disliked it are people I love and respect, and I'm not looking to start anything. What I'm trying to do is to suggest, suggest that the reason that Terminator Salvation is so reviled is dependent more on context than content. Firstly, let's look at the cast list. Christian Bale, Sam Worthington, Bryce Dallas Howard, Helena Bonham Carter, Anton Yelchin, Michael Ironside. Where's the weak link there? 
That is a deep bench. Now, the worst one I could find was Common, who, to be fair, is more of a rapper than an actor. He doesn't always deliver his lines convincingly, but they used him really sparingly in the film. And, of course, I'll fight anyone who says anything bad about Anton Yelchin. Um, what a great great actor and it's such yeah. a shame it's such a shame that he was taken yeah. way before his time for those of you that don't know anton yelchin was a, a young actor who died in 2016 through a, a, an accident with his own own car and nobody else and it's it's one of those one of those losses that it, it shouldn't have made had such an impact on me but it did I, and i'm not entirely sure i can explain why but i i really feel like we miss him you know anyway yeah uh let's Let's crack on. Now, in terms of the script, I can't help but think that the script is actually pretty tight and it serves as a sequel and a prequel. Now, most of the exposition is neatly doled out to Sam Worthington's Marcus Wright. This is the only Terminator film to not have any time travel whatsoever, but Marcus kind of acts as our time traveller, going from our time into the future, thus needing things explaining to him. There's little things like Moon Bloodgood uh, plays Blair Williams, the fighter pilot. She says how she likes the sound of his heartbeat, which sets him a nice plot point and also a thematic reference that only becomes noticeable on the, on the rewatches. Also, interestingly... I found out that Jonathan Nolan was an uncredited scriptwriter on the on the script. He was the, the standby writer. And obviously. Yeah. It makes so much sense. You know, he's and, great. Uh, <laughs> and be- he is pretty great, you know. I mean, he still gave us Westworld. And for me, the, the the line that still sticks out is if you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Um, I like that. And it also, in the same way that Batman Begins shows you how someone can become Batman, this shows you how John Connor can become this great military leader because he's effectively used his 10,000 hours to learn how to kill the Terminator long before the rest of the world even knew they existed. So I thought that was a really nice touch. Originally set in a dystopian future, Terminator Salvation can now be classed as being set in an alternate past as the film is set in 2018 after Judgment Day. Considering that this is a 2018 where Donald Trump was not president, it's difficult to class whether it's class it as a dystopian world, as at least they didn't have to deal with this nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we do have that orange man. Yeah. In terms of the way it's shot, I-, I personally think there's very few frames in this film that couldn't be taken out and put on your wall as a work of art. I mean, the fact that it's not overly sci-fi, the human beings are using bullets rather than lasers, helps to make it real, really feel grounded and create some really believable world building. In terms of what they got wrong, not all the CGI stands up. Borrows heavily from other films. I, I noticed just when I was watching Great Escape, Blade Runner, Lord of the Rings, and Transformers. But our podcast is devoted to stories that steal ideas from other stories, so I'm not going to stress about that too much. Yeah. For me, the, the biggest misstep is always that, that massive harvester machine, which looks like a crap Transformer. It looks like it belongs in a different film. There's some clunky voiceover. John Connor's line, I'll be back, might work for the character and his motivation, but it does feel like a line that's made purely for the trailers. Do you remember the mm. trailers for this one? I don't especially. They spoiled... A massive reveal in it. So you're going into... If, you, if you're watching the trailers, you already know that Marcus Wright is is a cyborg. And that, in the film, it's presented as a massive big reveal. And it's spoiled for us. I also think the name is terrible. Much more on the in terms of In terms of where it ranks, um, no one's going to suggest it's better than the first two films. But if we're going to try and compare a sci-fi film to two of the greatest films in cinema history, then they're all bound to pale in comparison. I feel comfortable putting Salvation 
light years ahead of Genesis. Mm. I think Terminator 3 was bold in, in the way it ended it. But it's awkward humour always kind of weakened it for me. When Schwarzenegger turns up with this sort of Elton John style glasses, it's like... Mm. <sighs> and, and some people argue that Dark Fate is is better. And I, I like that film. But it's essentially a reboot that devalues all that came before by murdering John Connor in the opening scenes. So yeah. That, it's, it's, yeah, that's how I feel. When Dark Fate came out, I was thinking about it. And I was like, what's the point? If you were going to do something and you were going to like go back and maybe rewrite some of the history, I understand it's got a lot of time travel in it. So they've sort of yeah. got that artistic license. I think, why not just do, like you say, for example, why not replace number three? One of the things I thought was bold about, about Salvation was that it didn't replace three. It treated it yeah. as canon when the easy option would have been to forget about it. So, so there we go. I hope some of that is convincing and I hope that some of the people listening fancy having a, a rewatch of Terminator Salvation to see if it is as bad as you remember. Uh, after that little sojourn, we're now going on to Finding the Faith in the Film. <laughs> it sort of so, changes pitch every time. But, you know. I like it. I like it. It works. <laughs> so interestingly, Christianity Today described the first Terminator film as like a sci-fi nativity. So okay. you know the, the nativity story and you know how it starts. Mm-hmm. So imagine instead of Gabriel appears in a heavenly vision to, to Mary, imagine he blasts through the wall, grabs her by the arm and says... <laughs> You're going to give birth to the Son of God. He's going to save mankind. Come with me if you want to live. Oh, my God. There is, there is that makes like, so much sense now you've explained it it does doesn't it like, full disclosure it's hilarious sorry yeah. it shouldn't be There's, that funny but it's really good oh, I like that. so remember if people remember the thing we're, we're looking for here is applicability not allegory not all of it has to hang together as a Christ story we're taking so, a leaf out of JR's book there yeah we're not saying anything in particular about, uh, about um, Mary or anything like that but you can see some of the parallels there. It does make sense. Like, you've got Carl Reese, who blasts in from the future to the past, finds Sarah Connor, says, you're going to be the mother of this, what is basically Christ-like being that's going to be in the future, is going to lead us all to salvation. Callback. I, I do see it. I do see it. But again, yeah. it is definitely in the lines of applicability. The the key thing I want listeners to keep in mind here is all the points we're making. They all these these comparisons they work for the metaphor that yep. we're talking about. They don't have to hang together for the entire film or the entire mm-hmm. series. It's just something for you to appreciate in their individuality. So. What interests me about some of the character dynamics at the heart of these films is the interconnected nature of Sarah Connor, John Connor, and Kyle Reese. Each one of these characters exists as part of a circle, and one can't exist without the other. So Kyle Reese trains Sarah and fathers John. Sarah teaches John, and John inspires and commands Kyle. And in a similar way, you can see the Trinity. Uh, Are you familiar with the idea of the Trinity? Uh, The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Exactly. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm going to try to explain this as best as I can. If it doesn't make sense, that's okay, because it's essentially a paradox anyway, okay? So the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all these individuals with their own qualities and personalities, but at the same time, they are absolutely indistinguishable from the other two parts. There's a line in John 14 verse Mm. 7 Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says if you really knew me you would know my father as well from now on you do know him and have seen him Philip said not you no um (laughs) Philip said Lord show us the father and that will be enough for us Jesus answered don't you know me Philip 
even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Now, because of this, the, the time travel aspect to it, you do mm. have these three characters with this kind of interconnected nature. You can't, if you take one piece out, then the whole thing falls down. Yes. Yeah. And, and trying to explain the Trinity is a similar thing where you can't take one piece out. It reminds me of, do you remember that song by Street Sweeper Social Club? the oath oh yeah there's this this one line in it where it says i pledge that we are individuals that said from you i'm indivisible so it's it's a nice concept it doesn't make any sense but i I feel it's still worth noting i feel it's still there what i'm getting from that is that Mm -hmm. i feel as though it is more descriptive of a concept uh Mm. between possible individual people who have a faith or a religious belief in common let's say the trinity of people in this instance is uh, Kyle Reese, Sarah Connor, mm-hmm. and John Connor. They are all completely different, but they are all united in the cause mm-hmm. against the machines taking over everything, apparently. For me, coming from a non-faith standpoint, that's mm-hmm. what would make sense to me in terms of script writing, in terms of the narrative and in the way that the characters interact with each other and their relationship. I mean, when it comes to the Trinity, I think you can be a Christian your entire life <clears throat> and never fully understand it. And I think I'm definitely one of those people. But I just I thought it was really interesting how these ideas and concepts sort of roll around these these three characters. And because mm. of the time travel element to it, we've got a really nice paradox there that I thought had an interesting parallel with the Trinity. If it doesn't work for people, that is okay. Now, yeah. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a guy called Saul, and this should hopefully be a bit more straightforward. Have you yeah. ever heard of a guy called of, uh, Saul from the Bible? He uh, changed his name to Paul. Ah! I was really... I was hoping <laughs> that would be my big reveal, you know? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. did know about yeah. this one. Saul was a Pharisee who was, he was the OG Christian killer. He slaughtered Christians before it was cool, way before Romans brought lions into the equation. Acts uh, 8 chapter 1 says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death when it talks about the first martyr that that's, that's you, that comes across, you know? Mm. Now, he's on his way to Damascus to kill some more Christians when he has this vision. Uh, as it says in Acts 9, 3 to 6, uh, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. I love that little bit line there. Just get up, go to the city. <laughs> I have given you, it in. I've given you so many chances, Saul. Right? Now, <laughs> get up, go to that big place of all the buildings. Mm. So he's temporarily blinded, but the short version is he, he goes to Damascus, meets up the early church, and becomes one of their greatest leaders. I cannot help but think that has to be one of the tensest meetings anyone has ever had. When somebody goes to meet him, like, yes, I'm converted. I believe what you believe. You know? <laughs> So he changes his name to Paul, becomes an apostle, and is responsible for a large part of the New Testament. If you've heard the words, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, then you've heard Paul. This one to me, I don't think it's that much of a stretch to see a parallel with the T-800. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Granted, no, yeah, yeah, actually. All right. So the, so the T-800, the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger model, basically kills people left, right, and center. And then we have, he's effectively re- reprogrammed, he is reprogrammed by the resistance, then becomes their greatest soldier and is sent back to, to save John Connor. You have somebody switching so dramatically 
from one side to the other. And these kind of stories, the stories of somebody being incredibly anti-God and then becoming one of God's greatest soldiers, for want of a better phrase, they're really popular because it's this idea that nobody's beyond redemption and can apply to absolutely anybody. I feel like the T-800 is possibly one of the best examples of that. You know what? I like that a lot. I like Thank that you. a lot, actually. Like, taking parallels from a text and there's none more famous than the Bible. Like, I don't know if James Cameron did that on purpose, but that is really, really cool because it's almost undeniable when you sort of put them side by side. It's straight down to the fact that he's like, I'm killing the resistance. I'm saving the future of the resistance now. No, the the yeah. enabler of the resistance almost. Absolutely. Now, this one might be a bit of a stretch, but I thought it was worth mentioning. If the machines had done literally nothing rather than go back in time to kill Sarah Connor, John would never have been born. And in this way, the machines kind of create their ultimate enemy. In a similar way, and again, if you think this is a stretch, that's fine. Christians would sort of attribute Jesus' death to uh, the devil and evil in general. The key thing being that the devil's sort of responsible for killing Jesus. And in doing so, Jesus' sacrifice atones for the sins of mankind. So in this way, Satan sort of facilitates a hero that he can't destroy. If if Jesus hadn't sacrificed his life, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I just find it fascinating that the bad guys accidentally help to bring about their own destruction. To hearken back to a, a Nolan quote, mm-hmm. uh, it's what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Yeah. Last few points. Uh, James Cameron could have made the machines look like anything he wanted, but he chose to make them look like metal skeletons. And in this way, they kind of look a bit like a techno Grim Reaper. Mm. And in Salvation, in the factory scene, when like molten metal pours onto the T-800, it sort of gives him this thick, glowing cloak which helps to sort of really create this grim reaper imagery but with like a glowing metal rather than rather than a sort of a black cloak and I think when you see that in the film it is absolutely undeniable there. I don't remember that bit but I'm going to watch that back and I'm going to keep an eye out for it. John Connor's initials are the same as the saviour of mankind Jesus Christ but I wouldn't invest too much into that because it's also the same initials of the director James Cameron so let's not go down that road. Yeah we could also draw the same parallel of the director and as much as he probably would enjoy that <laughs> I'm not sure that's what he intended so. lastly in Terminator Salvation John Connor gets stabbed through the chest he's, uh, he's, he's about to die it's gone straight through his heart and Marcus Wright gives his life in order to transplant his heart into John Connor he's making the ultimate sacrifice to save another person and there's a, a brilliant line in it where it says everybody deserves a second chance this is mine. Now, it is like someone took the entire central argument of the entire gospel and the entirety of the New Testament and then they stuck it in a Terminator film because this idea that everybody deserves a second chance, no matter who they are, is absolutely central to my beliefs and to the beliefs of yeah. Christians everywhere. The idea of sacrifice and redemption. If you take those out of the out of the story, if you take those out of the gospel, you don't have a gospel. And I just like the way something can be boiled down in something so beautifully and uh, and again turns up in everybody's second most hated <laughs> Terminator film. I've got to say that that last point. I think we may have undis- indisputably found the faith in the film in that particular moment. Like even if it's oh. only very small, 
It's yeah. an undeniable. The, the daft thing is, I uh, I wasn't really setting out to make Terminator Salvation look like it's a, a, a faith in film one, but I accidentally just did that at the end there. <laughs> to be fair, we're, we're trying to find it, the faith in the film and in the franchise itself, because that's what yeah, we're looking at. It, and we achieved that, I it, think. It, it became apparent. That's pretty much it for our, our episode this week. Our podcast has been out for a week now. We've had about 100 downloads. 100 that's, downloads! That's not bad considering. That is not bad considering that this is our first week out and neither of us have ever done a podcast before. I'm, so I'm grateful for every single one of them, I've got to say. There's people who've talked to me personally who said things where they connected with them. And I love that. And in particular, I'd like to say a big thank you to the people who've left us reviews. Uh, Katie June Nunn described us as informative and entertaining and easy to listen to. And Lyle Shane, who's a trainee teacher, said, I'm excited for the to for the podcast and hope that I can use them in my lessons. Lyle, if these prove to be useful to you, then I feel like we've done our job then. And I think that'd be fantastic. Thank you very much for listening, Lyle. And we'll keep doing it. Nice. Okay, that is, that's us done for today, listeners. Thank you so much for listening. We've had a really good time. Phil, have you had a good time? I always have a good time. You know me. I never get bored of looking at your pretty little face. Oh, uh, Giles. Our, <laughs> don't you. Our next film is Arrival, directed by Denny Villeneuve. If you get a chance, please check that film out because we're going to be talking about that in depth next week. Have a fantastic week. Look after yourselves, guys. Stay safe, stay inside, and we'll see you very soon. God in Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff and Phil Coleman. Mixing by Phil, editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh, and our theme tune was designed by Rick Lee. Fact-checking by Christina Stannard-Good. Waffle editing by Natalie Austin. God in Film is a Dask production. Please rate and review, unless it's a one-star, in which case just travel back in time and tell Phil's mum before he was born.